From him who loves us and has freed us to be a kingdom and priests and to serve our God forever and ever, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, this morning we wrap up our series, our Seek First the Kingdom series that we've been looking at this summer with a topic that um, probably makes us all just a little bit uncomfortable. It seems that there are really two things that that generally people don't really want to hear from God and they really don't want to talk about in the church. And those two things are, are sex and money. Which is ironic that we don't really want to hear about it from God because if you walk outside the doors, if you turn on the TV, turn on the radio, listen to music, watch, read a book, watch a movie, like what are the two consistent themes that the world preaches? Sex and money. And so it's kind of funny that it's ironic and, and maybe kind of telling as well that we don't really want to hear what God has to say because God actually has a lot to say. In fact, a third of, of the topics Jesus talked about had to do with our, our money and our possessions. And I wonder if it's because we're afraid of having our hearts exposed. We're afraid of of God's word shining a light into our hearts and, and we and God see us for who we really are, for how often we misuse the blessings he gives, for how foolishly we squander it, using it for things that are actually damaging to our soul. Because those topics, they are things that, that tend to occupy our minds, aren't they? And because they do that, then they, they start to invade our hearts. And they want to take over our souls. And that's why God talks often about them, and, and clearly and directly. And that's why it's important that we as Christians stop and listen to what God has to say when it comes to both topics of sex and money. Today we're going to focus on, on one of them, and that's money. But before we do, I want to assure you, I'm not actually here to ask you for a single thing this morning. In fact, I, I want to give you something. Because what we're going to talk about really doesn't have to do with, with dollars and cents. And it has everything to do with your heart. You see, a big part of the problem, in fact, maybe the, the main problem, when it comes to the way that we understand and view money is actually our first takeaway this morning. It's that I don't want anyone, even God, to tell me how to use my money. Because let's be honest, that's how we actually feel, isn't it? I mean, that's not totally true. It's not that we hate all financial advisors because there's plenty of them. I mean, why are, are Clark Howard and Dave Ramsey two of the most successful like, radio personalities and, and they have an audience of, of millions every day? It's not because we hate all financial advice. We just don't want anybody to, to say you have to or you should or you must. But the problem isn't really the financial advice. The problem is actually the, the second word you wrote down. It's that it's mine. See, that's really the, the issue because it leads to a fu fundamental misunderstanding 
of not only how we use our money, but why that is. And this morning, I, I, I hope, I pray that we, we clarify that and correct that misunderstanding to, to give you a, a heart that loves what God says about money, that, that understands and, and recognizes the incredible blessing and gift that God gives to us. So before we begin and read our, our text this morning from 1 Chronicles 29, allow me to, to set the stage and give you a little bit of history, a little bit of background it's a section from the Old Testament, and it takes place about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it was during a time of, of incredible prosperity and wealth for the nation of Israel. The words we're going to read come from a man named David. David was the king of Israel during this time of unprecedented wealth and prosperity. In fact, David is widely regarded and often referred to as the greatest king in Israel's history. But more than that, David is also referred to by no less than God himself as a man after the Lord's own heart. So during this time of unprecedented prosperity and wealth, David built himself a magnificent palace. But because David wasn't just wealthy, he was also a man after the Lord's own heart. David, David recognized a problem after he built this opulent palace. And it wasn't like the square footage, and it wasn't the location or the layout. It wasn't even that he had this really, really nice place to live. He recognized a different problem. It's words that he said in 1 Chronicles 17. He said, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. See, the ark of the covenant is more than an Indiana Jones movie. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where they kept the, the physical stone tablets that the original Ten Commandments were on, where they kept a jar of manna, the way God had amazingly and miraculously provided food for his people in this deserted wilderness for decades, where they kept Moses' staff, the one that he stretched out over the Red Sea, and God parted the waters, and this huge, massive amount of people walked through on dry land as God saved his people. But even more than that, the Ark of the Covenant was where God told his people that he lived among them. It was where the very presence of God himself was. And David stopped for a moment and he looked around and he saw what he had. And then he looked at where God lived, so to speak where the very presence of God himself was in a tent they called the tabernacle. And David said, this, this isn't okay. We need, to, we need to use some of what God has given to us and we need to build for God a fitting, a deserving temple that's in honor with the glory and honor that are due the God of heaven and earth. See, David had this understanding of what was really the priority, right? But David wasn't the guy who was going to build a temple. God told him that. He wasn't going to live that long. Solomon, his son, was going to. But, but David took the steps. He, he drew up the blueprints. He outlined everything. He laid out all the details. He prepped all of the materials. And then in the verses immediately before our text this morning in 1 Chronicles 29, David 
led God's people in giving a gift that would build this temple. And it's incredible if you look at what these people gave to God. It's hundreds of tons of gold, more hundreds of tons of silver, and thousands of tons of bronze. Like, the amounts are just mind-boggling. It's probably the, the greatest single gift ever given in the history of the world. And after that gift was given, David broke out into a, a joyous prayer that praised God. And that's the words of our text this morning from 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from your hand. Did you hear who David credited for this largest single offering in the history of the world. He didn't like humble brag and be like, hey, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a pretty good king and I made my people super rich and they're really good hearts and so they gave back to God. Man, these are good people and in turn, I'm a great king. No, David said all the credit goes to God because David recognized that the ability to give this gift didn't come from his wisdom as a ruler. It didn't come from his prowess and his might on the battlefield. It came by faith. Right? We heard him credit God in verse 11. Look at the way he praises God and, and recognizes God, right? He's literally God. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. All things that we would associate with a king. And David is one of the greatest kings who ever lived. And he said, yeah, nothing. What I have, nothing compared to what God is and has. Who he is as the God of heaven and earth. And then he says something that is, is extremely profound and important for us to remember for everything in heaven and earth is yours. See, that's a clear biblical truth. That it's not just found here, but it's an important truth that I think sometimes we're tempted to forget. And it's our second takeaway this morning that literally everything belongs to God. That means that our clothes, our clothes, our food, our our home, the, you know, four-wheel, two-headlight thing that we used to get here this morning, even our money, all of it is actually God's. 
we, we actually echoed those words, right? Did you remember it? It was in the very beginning of our worship this morning. The beginning of our call to worship from Psalm 24, verse 1 says, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God makes the rain fall. He makes the sun shine. He makes the crops grow. He gives us family to love. He gives us health and abilities and a job to earn income God even gives us our stuff, our money, everything comes from him. As David said in verse 14, everything comes from you. And we've only given you what comes from your hand. And that's why the my in my money is problematic. Because it it looks at something that is actually not mine and claims it as my own. And it it gives me the wrong relationship, the wrong attitude towards God and towards money. Because what happens when you view it as yours, as you are the owner? Well, now I have to protect it, right? I have to guard it. And I get to use it on whatever I want because it's mine. Or so we sometimes think. But God actually wants us to understand that's not the relationship we have with him and that's not the attitude he wants us to have towards money. You aren't the owner of it. You don't need to guard it and protect it because it comes from God who promises to provide for you every single day. And God says, I want you to trust that I'm going to provide for you tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so so stop worrying about it and stop loving it and protecting it and hoarding it and and using it just for your own self and your own pleasure. God wants us to have a different attitude towards it. He, He blesses us and he tells us, I've got a purpose for you with this money. I've got a job for you to manage it. Not to own it, but to use it in the ways that I tell you. And the term that the Bible uses for that is sometimes, is, is often called stewardship. God wants us to be good stewards. Maybe that's a term that, that you're not all that familiar with or you've heard, but you don't really know what that means. Really, it simply means our, what our third takeaway says, that God wants me to manage and manage well his money that he has entrusted to me. And when you come to our, our Life Group Bible study this week, we're going to take a look at the directions God gives, the, the ways that God lays out for us to do exactly that, to manage his money. Because he doesn't just say, here you go, spend it wisely. He says, I want you to use it for these things, for taking care of your family and for, for paying taxes. Nobody likes it, but we do enjoy the benefits of it. For giving to others in need, for giving back to me, for enjoyment. God blesses us for all of these things. And sometimes we get the categories out of whack. And God says, I want you to, to know them and understand them. So we're going to take a look this week at, at our Bible stu- in our Bible study at how God tells us to manage well his money. But today we're not getting in, into the details. We're looking at the heart. Because our heart so easily goes astray, Right? Our heart so easily falls into the, the temptation and the trap that we heard from 1 Timothy 
the trap of the love of money, the trap of chasing after money, of, of thinking, I want, I need more. And maybe you sometimes even get, fall into that trap and you, you look around and you point at God and say, why me? Because I look at the, the unbelieving guy up the street and man, that guy's got a lot of nice stuff. And I look at my unbelieving friend and boy, they take amazing vacations all the time. And why? Why, God? Why me? Why not more for me? David asked a question that is kind of similar, but actually has a completely different point in our, our text this morning from First Chronicles. Did you catch it? It's in the last verse. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Do you get the difference between those two questions? Why me points the finger at God and assesses blame and says, you're holding back. You should be giving more. Who am I points the finger at me and recognizes that everything that God gives to you, to me, to all people, everything is God's and everything that he gives to us is more than we deserve. David spoke those words and I wonder if as he said them he was thinking of his well-known and sordid affair with Bathsheba and the cover-up and the murder of her husband and all of that whole rough time in David's life that I'm guessing stuck with him in his memory. I'm wondering if he maybe had a, a more recent failing and sin. Man, I, I screwed up again and who am I, Lord? Or I wonder if maybe he was just thinking of like an entire lifetime of sin, right? An entire lifetime of failing to live as God said. That just was kind of, man, I have screwed up a lot. And so David said, who am I? Because he recognized that, that he didn't deserve a, a single penny. He didn't even deserve the air that God was allowing him to breathe. And the same is true for us, isn't it? As you think about your bank accounts, about your investments, as what's, you think about what's going on in your finances, do you, do you think, why me? Or do you think, who am I? Because let me ask you, what would you give to somebody who, when you gave them a gift, they went out and they did something with it that was horrible for themselves? If you gave your child, your friend, your spouse, your, your loved one, you said, here, I want to give you this really good gift, and, and you have in mind that they're going to use it for this really good thing, and they go out and just burn it in soul-damaging, in relationship-distressing ways, what would you give them? What would you give to someone who took from your hand and in the next moment cursed your name? What would you give to someone who, who looked at the blessings that you had given to other people and, was filled with, and you were filled with hatred and jealousy? What would you give? 
Because let's be honest, a single penny would be far more than what's deserved, isn't it? See, and now we start to understand this concept of what God gives to us, that everything is his, and who am I? Because let's be honest, we do that. We pile up this debt of sin and we squander what God gives to us and we misuse his name and we abuse what he tells us and who am I? Who am I, Lord, because we don't deserve a single penny, much less all of the dollars and all of the stuff and all of the blessings that God gives to us. We don't deserve a single, a single bit of it and yet look at what God gives in abundance. Look at the way we live. And you know why God does that? Because when we stop and recognize we don't deserve it, God has a term for that. Undeserved love, God calls it grace. And he wants us to understand that it is by his grace that we have family that loves us and, and friends to to hang out with and enjoy and all of the stuff that God gives us, it's all because of God's grace, his undeserved gift to us. Now, if you remember before when I was talking about this offering, I said it was probably the, the single largest gift ever given and that's close to true. It's certainly the largest gift of, of gold and silver, but it's not the largest most precious, most valuable gift ever. That's a gift that God gave for you and for me. It's an offering that was paid at an exceedingly precious price. And he did it all because of his grace, his undeserved love. Take a look at what 2 Corinthians 8 says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See what God did? God, the God of heaven and earth, the God that everything belongs to, the God who, who lived in unimaginable glory and bliss and praise of heaven, stepped outside and he came here. And he was born in a barn, no less. And he didn't live in a, a mansion with walls that would protect him from all the people knowing he went from town to town and village to village because he had come to to share the good news that salvation was theirs as a gift from God by his grace. And then Jesus willingly surrendered his life. Not just to his enemies that hated him and not just to the Romans who crucified him, but to God the Father who took that life and used it as the payment for our debt of sin. See, on the cross, Jesus paid the price. He paid the full amount that we owe to God for all of our sins and all of our failures. And so he became spiritually poor. He gave up everything to take our debt of sin on himself so that you 
And I might be rich beyond our wildest imagination, rich because all of our faults and failures have been washed away, wiped from our record. We stand now before God, not just with a zero balance, but with the perfection of Jesus credited to us. And we've been made rich, exceedingly wealthy in hope that goes beyond our last breath. Rich beyond our imagination in the peace that we have for our hearts and our souls and our minds that, that God loves me and he forgives me and he's going to take me to this glory in heaven. Abundantly blessed that we have perspective and purpose in life that isn't just chasing after more and more and more and leaving it all behind when we die. God has given us this incredible purpose. And it's all because of his grace. That's our, our last takeaway this morning. That God has given me everything that I have. And it's all because of his grace. And the best part of it is Jesus. All that I have all that I own, all that I love in this world, the good things that God has blessed me with, they're all his gifts. And when I, when I look at them and see them that way, instead of mine that I work so hard for and I have to protect, but when I see that God has graciously blessed me with them and I trust that he's going to graciously bless me with more tomorrow and the next day and the next day because he promises to do so and he always keeps his promises then it changes my heart and it changes my attitude towards money and towards God. And it frees you and me to just live the way that God wants us to and manage what we have free from worry about, oh, are we going to have enough? Free from the fear that it might run out and we have to protect this. Free from guilt that I didn't and I shouldn't have and I forgot. Because we get to live using what God gives us wisely and well for his glory and in a way that brings him honor and, and in doing so brings us joy and peace. And that's why, dear friends, I want you to remember everything that you and I have, it comes from God. It's his gift to us and he wants us to use well, to manage wisely. So let's do that. Let's appreciate and thank God for his blessings. But let's not look to hoard it and protect it and store it. Let's look to use it and manage it well and wisely, the way that God wants us to and for his glory and enjoy the blessings he gives. Amen.